0: Today's guest, Ashley Nesbitt, has released a book since we recorded this episode. It's called Living After Loss, Pushing Forward When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. We do touch on some of that topic in this episode, so there is a trigger warning for those that are especially sensitive to that kind of dark subject matter. But she does go more in detail about that part of her life in the book and how it led to her discovering her faith. So you can go ahead and find the link in the show notes down below to purchase your own copy. She's a mental health advocate. She's had so many different hats from real estate to event management. And now we talk about all of the mindset shifts as she starts Going down a more creative path in the film industry. Without further ado, this is Ashley Lorraine Nesbitt. What was a random thought you had in the morning yesterday?
1: Oh wow. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what random thoughts I had today. Oh. Uh, what was yesterday? Thursday. What did I do with my life?
0: It's unfortunate because <laughs> we just had brunch where we talked about it. And I was like, oh, Wait, I really don't know what
1: I thought about yesterday?
0: Like in the morning, yeah.
1: Oh my goodness, you were like, you I had... don't even remember what I told you yesterday.
0: Dang, because we were like, no, that oh. that was two days ago. Oh, was it two days ago? Oh, Wednesday. Oh, okay, Wednesday morning. What were you? <laughs> I feel
1: like we need to start this over.
0: <laughs> so I know you've talked about how growing up you moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk a little bit about that and, and why why did you move around so much?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up with my mom, single parent home. Um, My dad was in my life, it's not like he wasn't. I visited him during the summertime and holidays, but um, they got a divorce when I was probably only one or two. So I grew up with my mom and um, we lived in six states, multiple cities and towns in those states. Uh, Just kind of, just because, I mean, no true reason, uh, we would get sick of one place and decide to just pack up and move, just pick a place on the map and go. Uh, Kind of some modern day gypsies, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) to an extent. Uh Um, But on a deeper level, and I I don't know if you want to go that deep yet, but um, my mom struggled with a lot of things in her life, um, and there were oftentimes we found ourselves in situations that were toxic, um, that we shouldn't be in. Uh, She dated a lot of abusive men, Mm -hmm. and so sometimes when we would pack up and move, it would be to get away from them. Um, other times, you know, it was just like, she was on this constant pursuit of something and she had no idea what that was that she was pursuing, but you know, we, we would pack up and go try to find it. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, it stemmed from a lot of that.
0: Did it feel sometimes like you didn't really have any roots anywhere?
1: Yeah, but, um, and, and this is something that I mentioned to you the other day, um, because that's all I ever knew, Mm I, I didn't know anything different you know and so that was just kind of my life it was it was exciting to pack up and go somewhere else it was exciting to be in a new environment and meet new people Um, uh, yeah of course there is a huge chunk of that and I I don't necessarily have one location that I claim as home Mm -hmm. you know most of my family on my mother's side live in Idaho and then my dad's in Oklahoma and so you know I'll go visit them but I don't Texas is my home you know I've, I've been here the longest I've ever been anywhere and because I grew up moving so much now in my adult life I, I realize I need that stability in my life and so that is why I've stayed planted here for so long uh, for a lot of people the idea of packing up their entire life and going somewhere new is intimidating you know and, and when they find themselves in that situation in life whether it be because of a jo- job change or something going on um, they might be fearful it might take a while for them to adjust to a new place. For me, it's taken everything in me to stay planted mm-hmm. here for so long because it's it's easy for me to just – Want to pack up and leave and be somewhere else two days from now? You know, I I could do that right now.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: but I know, <laughs> I know the value in staying planted somewhere for a while. And 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 I love Texas. I, I love all the people that I've been um, able to meet here. The relationships I've been able to establish and strengthen just because now I have been here since, gosh, two thousand seven. Not in this one city, but you know, I've I've been in Texas since two thousand seven, and so I have met some incredible people. And, and it's it's forced me to work through a lot of my challenges that have come up here. Because, again, uh, I think moving growing up, that was like a defense mechanism for my mom and I. If things got difficult, mm. we would just pack up and leave. And, you know, not not saying you shouldn't do that in an abusive situation, obviously. Um, do whatever it takes to get out. But But in other things, I mean, there were times when I would just get sick of the school that I was at. And so it would be like a fun adventure for my mom Mm. and I to just pack up and go somewhere else. So I find myself now in life, you know, if I'm sick of my environment or or something, like I I find ways to push through it and Mm. and grow with that experience instead of just escape it.
0: So I'm kind of curious because you said your mom had a lot of abusive partners. Did they ever like live with you or was there at least always a little bit of distance
1: yeah, thankfully, thankfully, um, they never lived with us. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I would meet them and there were things that I, I witnessed and, and experienced and stuff. But yeah, thankfully, they never act. Well, yeah, thankfully, they never actually lived with us.
0: That's good. So you got to at least be a little protected from a little bit. That yeah, harsh. probably not yes. a lot. But um, OK, so what what brought you to Texas? Like, was it another one where it's like, oh, this is a new place on me? Let me just see what happens, or was there a reason?
1: So I move. I initially moved to Texas my senior year of high school, and it was it was weird. It was one of those things where I've always felt deeply in my core that I was going to go to college in Texas. I had never even been to Texas, never visited, never lived. I had I had family here, and that's who we initially moved in with. I have an, an aunt and uncle in Abilene, and so yeah, my, my senior year of high school we packed up and came here so that we I could be here long enough to be able to get in state tuition. That's awesome. And that Did you At ha- the time was a spur of the moment thing? Um, but I've always felt in my core that I would go to college in Texas. So
0: Like not even followed. a specific college, just like, yeah, Texas <laughs> no. is just my destination just apparently. Followed that that yeah. whisper,
1: that feeling and um, you know, it's I, I know it's not logical. It doesn't seem logical, but there there have been other things and multiple things in my life where I've just always felt in my spirit of mm-hmm. my core things that would happen, and then they do. Now, obviously, something like that, um, I was able to manipulate that situation. You know, I've always felt that, and so, okay, let me go and do that, but there have been other situations where I've always felt like I would you know, work with a certain individual or I would do this or that. And then that actually has manifested in my life. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I love that kind of,
0: I love that you called it a whisper. Um, what, I guess, what, what did that, Feel like was it just like this voice in the back of your head? Was it just a resonance in your body? Like, what define whisper? Like,
1: yeah, it's, it's it's cool that you asked me that, and then we're even even talking about it. Um, I was actually on, in a clubhouse with <laughs> with Glenn and a few other mm-hmm. people um yesterday, and they were talking Glenn More Shower, Glenn More Shower. Yes, <laughs> phenomenal being. Yeah. Um, and they were actually even talking about the, those whispers and and people define it in different ways. I mean, whether it be your gut, your your you know, your intuition, um, hearing from God based on, you know, whatever your belief may be. Um and well I'm trying to think of how Glenn defined it, because you know he's amazing at mm-hmm. defining everything. Oh yeah. He defines those whispers as, let me not butcher this, um, divine. No pressure. <laughs> divine information before we've had the chance to ruin it by our chronic opinionitis.
0: Mm, interesting. I love that. I think that. that's exactly
1: what he said. And so basically like these these promptings, you know, they they come from somewhere. They come from something. You know, it's it's not just us. It's not just our logic. Because a lot of times it's, it's, it doesn't make sense logically. And, you know, whenever we get this strong feeling, this strong impulse about something, and then we follow it. And those times that we we get that prompting or that feeling and we don't follow it what do we say you know i i knew it yeah. oh i i knew i, I was supposed deep to do that down. Or deep down somewhere you know i i knew i was supposed to do this or that and mm-hmm. and everything and so yeah i i follow those a lot in life with a lot of things i mean so, from yeah how i ended up in the current apartment i'm living in to like You know, different people that I've decided to go and talk to, to jobs that I've gotten, and so I I go with the flow a lot in life, and I follow those those promptings a lot in life. And the more you follow that, the more that actually happens that those come up.
0: I love that, and it's it's almost, I guess, you know, everyone does have their own perspective on it, but it's almost like just always staying true to yourself, because I feel like a lot of times, at least for me, whispers come from this deep place of authenticity, where sometimes we're not always comfortable accepting maybe a part of ourselves or like you said we don't actually know what it is but I think deep down we would know what it was if we really kind of dug and I think it's really cool that you've always just been so dedicated to exploring whatever that authentic part of you is because it's easy to be like like you said oh this is illogical it doesn't make sense and cast it off as nothing and I think it's really cool that you've been able to continually follow that
1: I appreciate that
0: of course so I know you talked about going to college in, in Texas. What did you go to college for?
1: <laughs> a million things. You know, I was initially psychology, like so many so many kids out of high school. Um, they go into college, they don't know what they want to do, so they choose a psychology major. Um, so I was the first in my family to graduate. Um, I have a couple you know extended wise cousins that have but outside of that it's me myself and I and that was something that I I really just went because that was pushed by my mom and dad um I wasn't passionate about any one thing so I chose a psychology major I ended up changing my major five times in college um two years in I went to my advisor and I was like look this is getting silly Uh, My goal is to graduate within four years. Just put me with whatever major will still help me graduate on time based on the classes I've chosen. And so ironically, I ended up being a communications major, which is crazy to me looking back because when I was in high school, I couldn't even stand up in front of the class and speak to people. Going back even further back in my life as a kid, I actually had a speech impediment and I couldn't say anything with an R in it. Uh, mostly ORs. Um I, I couldn't say. So I mean I was in speech link, speech class for a while and that actually <laughs> messed me up for a while mentally. I I was very self conscious about it as as a kid. To the the extent that I would in my brain, like anytime I was talking to somebody, I would monitor my every sentence I was about to say and try to cut out as many R words as I could so I wouldn't be saying them. It's crazy. I got obsessed with it. I know. Um so You know, jump all the way back up to college. Um, When my advisor was telling me that I could become a a communications major, I thought, "There's no way in heck I'm I'm going to get up in front of the class and give speeches, Mm. talk to people. Why would I want to do that with my life?" And you know, he's like, "Well, uh, you asked me a question, (laughs) I'm answering it." Yeah. (laughs) Communications major, Ashley. You only have two years left. If you knock this out, you know, make that that weakness a strength and move on past it and I love and that. That, that's what I did. I mean, I I knocked out those classes. I almost passed out multiple times, but in doing so, um yeah, I, I was able to get better at it and had no idea that eventually a few years later I would be acting yeah. and you know, I've I've spoken in front of people at women's conferences and I've spoken in front of people doing events and, and all of that and now of course I'm acting and so that's, well, life is crazy that's
0: beautiful because it's so perfectly <laughs> reminiscent of how just facing your fears can bring so much personal growth from that you know you could have graduated done your speeches and then be like okay cool now let me just go to an office job and just be as you know
1: which is kind of what i did in a way mm-hmm. if i'm being honest my um my first job out of of college was i was a marketing coordinator for a real estate agent and mm-hmm. so Yeah, I've spent my time, you know, in in office cubicles and and doing things. Um, And years later is when it started manifesting into, you know, me speaking in front of people and then acting and all of that. And which is interesting because when I look back and you can look back on pretty much anything in life and you don't realize at the moment, like what you're going through, how it's equipping you. Um, for what you will be going through in the future, mm. but when you sit in your present day and you look back, you see how every single link of that chain is connected, and it's equipped you to be the individual that you are now in preparation for all the things that you're going through right yeah. now. And so,
0: I love that because one of one of the quotes that I lived by was actually one that was told in Glenn's class that I heard with my own ears was by um, Oh crap! Wait, what's his name? <laughs> Oh god! Oh oh! Wait! No no! Shoot! This is bad. Hold up. He I was, believe you. I believe he was in you. Sham! Brian Sham.
1: Yeah, Brad Sham. Brad, Brad Sham. Sham. <laughs> Brad Sham! I love Brad Sham. Yes, because I I've actually worked with the cow. I'm sorry. I probably no no
0: no no. You're good.
1: No, I love Brad Sham. I actually um, worked with the Cowboys for a while and mm-hmm. um, worked with his brother for a while and That's so awesome. um, yeah Brad's amazing you but yeah can, what, what was You can quote? let him
0: know that he he was like someone I parroted for easily months and months and months uh he said you never know the end of a story while you're standing in the middle of it yeah. Yeah. and it was such a brilliant insight because what he was talking about was you know Glenn was asking him how he was able to be so present while while he was announcing the games because he, he was a game announcer and he he was just like, Yeah, you know, you says- never know the end of the of the and it was just something so he said so matter of fact that just clicked everything. And it's so in line with what you said where, you know, there's there's so much that we can be going through that just feels like you're going through the absolute gutter and it feels like it can never get better and you don't realize that holy shit, this this low point is, like you said, preparing me for whatever next step it is so
1: yeah and and not not even i mean we we correlate that oftentimes to storms and low points and things like that but it's it's not even just the low points just every experience that we're going through just in general is is preparation for the next and then on and it's that's something i love about life
0: People are spooning because of Slate Venues, an event venue in Richardson, Texas with the mission to make the event planning process as stress-free as possible. This space is a perfect blank slate to just let your imagination run wild offering transparent pricing structures that include all of your event essentials like dinnerware, service staff, valet parking, centerpieces, and a whole lot more under just one lump-sum umbrella pricing structure. No nickel and diming ever. Click on the link to their website in the show notes for more information or email tristan at slatevenues.com for detailed pricing and availability. Make sure to mention promo code SPOONERS to get 75% off the $500 bar fee. I love that. So you said you were speaking at events. What kind of got you into event speaking and and that kind of thing?
1: So my background is so eclectic. I've had any and every job at some point in my life. Um, but a few years ago, I was actually on staff at a church, and initially i was brought on to do admin work um, and administrative stuff and i helped um helped kind of um, well i helped supervise the coffee shop on site um, i helped um, oversee the the volunteers there at the church and then at one point the pastor asked me to launch a women's group um, at the church awesome. and i was so afraid and yeah, he wanted me to lead the women's group. And so I would be speaking in front of a group of women every Sunday morning. I would be in charge of preparing the message and everything. And so from that, I got invited to speak at different women's conferences just because of some of the things that I had gone through and that my mom had gone through. And I, I get those, those opportunities off and on.
0: So when you say your testimony, define what a testimony is.
1: Yeah, so testimony specifically in um, you know, the, the church uh, setting or the Christian setting is pretty much just kind of what your life was like before you became a believer. Uh, what moment sparked that to happen, and what it's been like since since you have mm-hmm. been a believer? So,
0: so what was that moment for you?
1: Hey, if you want if you want to dig deep, if you want to dive into that's it, that's what it's about. Uh, let's we, we can go there. Um, so, again, I, I grew up with my mom. Uh, we moved a lot. Um, When I was 21, so just just between my junior and senior year of college, actually, um, I was in Chicago with my boyfriend at the time, visiting him, and I got a call from my aunt, my aunt Chris, one of my favorite people in life, um, got a call from my aunt, and she had said that my mom uh, had killed herself, and that flipped my entire world upside down. And if, you know, talking just from a testimony perspective, I, I didn't grow up in church. I, I wasn't a believer. Um, My mom wasn't. It was one of those things where, well, you know, it's silly for me to think of, you know, this genie in the sky, some, you know, magic being that would give you things or was looking out for you, especially when there's so much, like, tragedy and hurt in the world. Like, why would there... If there is a God that's so amazing, why why would the world look like this? And you know, it's, it's just something I, I I didn't do. Like I, I went to church a handful of times growing up, and it just just wasn't my jam. wasn't something I was into. Well, when I got that call about my mom, obviously my whole life changed. And and in that moment. There was the shock there. There was the hurt. There were a lot of things <laughs> going on. You know, two days after I found out, like, I, I was still in Chicago. I was, was going to be coming back the next day. I hadn't slept at all for those two days. I had cried I don't know if you ever cried so much that you're, there's, like, no teardrops left in your eyes. Your eyes are swollen. Um, it, was, it was one of those numbers. And so um, I was laying in bed, and it was, like, 9 o'clock at night. And I remember just being so drained and desperate. And in that moment, I just said, God, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, I need help right now. I just want to be able to go to sleep right now. And I want to wake up tomorrow and know that everything's going to be okay. That's all I want. I kid you not, not even five minutes later, I was asleep. And when I woke up the next day, you know, the sun was coming up, but it's – It's an experience. I know this sounds so cheesy to be listening to or explaining, but when I woke up, it was like perfect timing of just, you know, the sun was coming up and how it was coming through the window. It was just the, it was like the whole bedroom was glowing. And I felt such this peace in that moment to my core. It was just a, such a comforting that I had never felt before. And I just knew everything was going to be okay. And so um, from that moment, I was like, all right, you know, let me, let me see what this is about. That is the only reason why I got through those, especially those next couple of years of my life, and especially with, um, you know, going back to college, finishing my senior year, while also dealing with, you know, burying my mom. And I'm her only child. I have a sister with my dad and my stepmom, but I'm my mom's only child. And so I was responsible for, you know, obviously everything involved um, when when a parent passes and all the legal stuff and because it was suicide I even talked to you know the police on site the investigators the coroners like I wanted to know it was what it was because she had just moved in with her boyfriend I know the type of men she's dated in the past and so I needed the peace and comfort at my heart that it happened how it did and and all those things and so I dealt with all of that while finishing my senior year of college and, and the questions from family members because they needed their own peace of mind as well. And where were they getting that from? You know, they wanted to talk to me, they had questions for me. And so I was juggling all of those things. And at the end of the day, I'm only human, I can only handle so much. And so I found myself in those desperate moments needing someone or something to lean on. Started praying, crying out to God, needing that support. And I, and I, and I got it.
0: It was an anchor for you when everything else was chaotic. Oh, absolutely. Because what I would say, too, is that you grew up with your mom moving all over the place. So it was almost like home was where she was.
1: Oh, my mom was my everything. Exactly. I mean, she was my best friend. I mean, she, yeah, she was my mom, but she, she was practically like having a sister, you know, we, I told her everything. She, she knew the name of every guy I'd ever kissed or slept with, or, you know, she, Mm -hmm. she was my everything. And I I talked to her a lot. And so, yeah, because, um, yeah, she was all I ever knew. It was like half of me was gone, you know, when, when she left. And so I had to really find my whole identity of who I was as a person without my mom. And that, that took some time.
0: How long of a process was it? I honestly
1: I, I don't know that I could put a date on it. And and that's anything with the grief process. When you lose someone, you know, you you're never truly over it. Like that sadness is always going to be there. Obviously, you you learn to function in your new sense of reality without them. But you always hurt in it to an extent. Things get easier, but there are always moments or things that can trigger you to kinda mm. go into that sadness. So I don't know that I could put a date on it.
0: So talking a little bit about Kind of your faith. I know that you've gone on a couple mission trips. Yes. Specifically, I want to hear a little bit about this thing called Balut. Is it called? <laughs> um, first yes. off, I guess what what drove you to to want to start, uh, or I guess just talk about kind of the process of of yeah. that. Because yeah. I've always been, I've always heard about that, but I've never known like how that how comes to play. Yeah.
1: You know, I've, I've always had a heart for philanthropy. You know, I've always. Mm love to do things to to help other people and and stuff. And so, you know, the mission side of things, obviously, you know, there is, it's faith-driven. So there's that side of it. And so once I got on staff at the church, I um, started going on some. My first one was to Mexico. Um, but the one specifically that you're talking about was, was for the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And that was for—well, I, I, I guess I could say the organization here. That was actually through Wipe Every Tear. And what they do is they pull women out of um, human trafficking. I had a family member actually tell me about the organization. She knew that I liked going to different countries and traveling and helping out where I could. So she suggested the organization to me to get to the balut that you're asking about. So balut is... No, no, that was just um, random. Like, hey, talk about this
0: super, (laughs) like, important thing. And then this... And then the
1: balut. The balut. (laughs) I don't know, but that's okay because it's very memorable. So... It's, it's a delicacy in some areas, and it's also, you know, a, a well-known street food
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the Philippines.
0: What everyone needs and- to do is they need to go get some food from their pantry, start <laughs> eating, and then look up a picture of Balut. You will thank <laughs> me later.
1: Yeah, go go for it, as long as you don't have a queasy stomach. Um, so what Balut actually is, basically, is, is an embryo. It's a chicken embryo um, still in the egg. And so when you peel the shell off, you see the little... You see the little baby bird. Um, And it did feel like I was on an episode of Fear Factor. Uh, But, yeah, I I mean, honestly, the taste wasn't bad. It just tasted like a hard-boiled egg. Mm -hmm. But you see what you're eating. Uh, There's a little bit of texture there um, that's that's different. So it's one of those things where you do your best to just, you know – chomp down twice and swallow and be done. Uh, but it was, it was a fun experience. I got it on video. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, there are people uh, kind of gathering around, a bunch of the locals. It's, it's this fun thing for mm-hmm. them to stand there and watch this American, you know, <laughs> eat balut and yeah. see if I could, could down it. And I did, and it, it was fun. But since then, I have not been able to eat eggs. I used to eat scrambled eggs really? prior to. But since then, and that was, gosh, probably three or four years ago now,
0: so when you were in the Philippines, what were kind of some of the ways that you were able to kind of help bring people out of those situations? And
1: There's this street out there where um, there are a lot of bars on the street, uh, quote-unquote bars. To the general public or to a lot of people just touring and aren't fully aware of the behind-the-scenes stuff of what goes on out there, they seem like they're just bars or they're just strip clubs, basically. And so um, they get a lot of people that come there and travel from different countries and they go to these strip clubs to have a good time, to see the women. Um, And that may be the full extent to why a lot of people go there. The uglier side of that is the reality of what those places actually are. So when you go there and you go in, all of these these strippers actually have numbers on their, their thongs, their bikinis, whatever they're wearing, they have a number on them. So men who are interested... In finding their specific woman for the night Mm. Um, they go there they choose their number they pay a certain amount it's kind of it's basically a prostitution ring that a lot of these women are forced into um, and they have there in each each strip club each bar is you know what what we may call a pimp they call them their mamasitas you know it's Mm someone overseeing those certain women and, uh, you know, a lot of them, I mean, they they're, they are forced to be there outside of their will. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes in because we like to compare those situations to how we would see things being in America. And so a lot of Americans actually go over there and they see those women as, oh, well, it's their choice to be here stripping. It's their choice to be here prostituting themselves uh, when in reality it's 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 not their choice.
0: In America, there's like this certain perception of of how how things work and it's always interesting and eye-opening to go to a different place where it works completely differently
1: and it and it does but I do I guess I do for a second want to pull it back to America because even in America you know a lot of people have this mentality that even you know prostitutes on the streets their choice to be there and this and that and for some of them yes yes it is but there are a lot of women in the States that get pulled into that industry Mm -hmm. as teenagers and they um, are put in a position where I mean, their life is is put on the line basically like they have someone else forcing them to be out there. You know, they're, they're, they're drugging them up all the time and um, it isn't 100% their choice to be living that life and doing those things. And, uh, yeah, it's that that happens a lot in the U.S.
0: That's one of those heavy topics where it's like, oh, wait, where do we go from here?
1: I know. I didn't oh, mean man. to go there. The no, questions kept
0: coming. no, I know Um, <laughs> that that kind of thing is something that goes on. And, you know, it's very easy when, you know, you live so far removed from that to just almost have it act as invisible in a way. Well, we can do a little bit of a gear shift. Like you talked about growing up, having that speech impediment, just being terrified of, of speaking in front of people and now being in a profession where it's all about just basically being <laughs> judged by how you think and act and speak.
1: So I was actually working a desk job at a mortgage company. I was the assistant manager and uh, it was a three part company, mortgage side, home builder side, um, real estate side. And one of my coworkers, actually, he's he's in the extra mile class, um, mm. Charles Barry.
0: Oh, um, I love that man.
1: He's, he's such a joy. He's, he's fun. Well, we were actually, um, that our company was doing a conference in Las Vegas uh, for a bunch of investors. And during our happy hour, Charles actually came up to me. We're, we're talking and he's looking at me and uh, I could tell he wants to ask something. And, and then all of a sudden he just blurts out, Ashley, have you ever thought about acting? And I kind of laugh it off and I realize he's being serious and I say, no, you know, I've done the modeling thing before. I used to be on a modeling contract, but that, that wasn't for me personally. Uh, but no, I've, I've never even considered acting. Why do you ask? And he had just said that I have this this presence about me, this aura, you know, when I step into a room, it's just, I command attention without even meaning to. And he was explaining Very that true. to me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, he was explaining that to me and how just a lot of people in the entertainment industry, acting industry, they have that, that presence about them that, that people are just drawn to, that they gravitate toward. And he went on to tell me that, you know, he's been acting for a while. It's something fun that he likes to do when he's in this amazing acting class and his coach is amazing and his coach teaches him about life and life lessons and all of that. It's not just about acting and how there's so much value that I could gain from it and I should consider just going and sitting in on the class. I didn't take it seriously at the moment. You know, we finish our conference. I get back. I go back to work, this, that, whatever. I see Chuck around the office off and on. And, you know, a few weeks later, I'm like, you know what? Let me let me just see what it's about, you know, when it hurt. And so, yeah, I, I go to Glenn's class. I sit in. I listen in. And I don't know if those of you listening have ever been in one of those moments where you're sitting there and in that moment, you, st- you feel so in touch with what's going on and you feel to your core that that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing with your life. That's how I felt in that moment in that Mm -hmm. class. And so again, going back to the whispers or, you know, those gut feelings, those instincts, the, you know, me being a believer, I, you know, it comes from a place of God. I, I know I needed to follow that. And so I went back to Glenn's class. I, I shadowed just for a couple months. And then at some point I was given the opportunity to actually do a scene in class first time i've ever even tried acting first time i've ever memorized scripts done anything and it was a very good experience got great feedback and yeah it's all gone from there
0: when you said that the modeling contracts weren't for you what about it was misaligned with what you wanted
1: i don't always want to answer that question because i know there's always good and bad in every industry And I hate to stigmatize things. And the modeling industry does, of course. It's changed a lot. But it does have a strong stigma of, you know, how crazy the expectations on body size and shape must be. And, again, all of that was was really bad 10, 20 years ago. uh, When you had to be a certain height and you had to be extremely thin. And and it's changed a lot since then. Uh, But I did feel some of that pressure uh, when I was on my contract and it's not even that the expectation was fully coming from um, my agent that I was signed with. A lot of it was just my own internal expectations because I've never really had issues when it comes to how I look physically. You know, I've I've always relatively like eaten healthy, you know, stayed in shape and I, I can be confident in who I am. Well, I take that confidence and then I go on set and I'm standing next to women who I mean, I'm I'm pretty thin. You know, I mean, I'm not like super thin, you know, I'm I'm a healthy average build. But I would be standing next to women who in my mind at that time were half my size and it created all sort of self-consciousness within myself that, okay, wow, if they're that small next to me, I'm only imagining what, how this picture, how this photo is going to oh. turn out when I see it, I'm going to look huge next to them. <laughs> um, and so that, that was unhealthy, you know, and, and had I taken the modeling contract extremely seri- seriously, and, you know, I knew that that's just what I wanted to do with my life. I probably would have gone there to do unhealthy things, you know, in order to make my body appear how I felt like it should have based on me comparing it to other women. Uh, but because it was something that even with that, I was kind of just doing because people my whole life growing up were always like, oh, Ashley, you, you should consider modeling. Mm-hmm. So I say, okay, let me try it. I wasn't doing that for, you know, I wasn't even doing it for me. I was doing it for others. It wasn't something that I wanted to pursue that hardcore, especially in an unhealthy way. I, I stepped
0: away from it. So many of the people that I have on the show have been in Glenn's class. And mm-hmm. I think it's been very transformative for so many people. And I'm kind of curious because you talked about how you had lessons about life and and kind of perspective. And I'm I'm curious what your main takeaways and kind of how how you would say you grew through the process of of becoming an actor and kind of how that's that's shaped where you see your trajectory going from here.
1: I've learned so much from him. And in ways that it's it's impacted me the most in just my own personal being and how I show up in life every day and my interactions with other people and allowing myself to be vulnerable, to live in a big way, to make eye contact with people and, and, and mean it, to, to hug and mean it. It's funny because one of the warm-ups that we would always do in class in the beginning – Um, you know, we do our affirmations and and different things, but then we would, you know, look at the person across from us, walk toward them, you know, give them a hug and we would have to linger in that eye contact after the hug. I cannot explain to you how difficult that was for me. The first few months I was in his class, and it seems like the silliest thing, the most basic thing. But those of you listening to this, if you've never just like hugged someone and then made deep eye contact with them, just looking into the depths of their soul. And you just bask in that, initially bask in that awkwardness. But that in itself is the problem. Like it it shouldn't be awkward to be able to do that. You know, we, we should be able to truly allow ourselves to connect with somebody. And his class has taught me that. And, and that, of course, makes acting better because if you're just memorizing your lines and you're showing up and you're doing your scene, that's not acting. You know, you're not allowing yourself to fully go there and be vulnerable with another person. Yeah. It's taught me how to do that when I say hi to strangers. It's not just a wave and keep walking. Like yeah. if I ask somebody if they're okay, let me actually look you in the eye, mm-hmm. let you know that I mean it. It's coming from a genuine place of the heart. Like I'm I'm checking on you. Like I want to know not just the cliche, genuine. Oh, I'm good. How are you? Like I'm really checking on your heart right now.
0: Mm. Um, and I honestly, I do feel like eye contact in a way is a skill set because it's not just looking at someone. It's Figuring out how to have enough presence to look at them in.
1: But that's why it's so difficult. You know, people struggle with vulnerabilities, you know, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to our emotions and what we're going through. And so to not just look somebody in the eyes, but to allow Mm -hmm. someone to look you in your eyes and know that you're fully exposed. You know, whatever's going on in your head, whatever thoughts you're having, however your day is, all that is being exposed.
0: Mm -hmm. What is one current life mantra that you would say you live by? Because I've fallen in love with mantras. They're these super easy things you can you can just say to yourself as you're going throughout your day. If you had to choose just one, what would that be?
1: That's a very loaded question because it's going to make me go on a tangent. Um,
0: Which is so it, it's so funny, <laughs> though, because every single time I've seen like that's a loaded question interviews, it's like in an aggressive way. So it's cool to have it where she's like, oh, yeah, it's a loaded question. Because usually it's like, well, that's loaded a loaded question. question.
1: Let's talk about it. Yes. Let's take it on. Yeah, you you should tell your wave story because it total, totally relates. Oh. But <laughs> I don't know that I could break it down to a specific quick mantra, but mm. mindset. I've been thinking a lot about is just this idea that Ashley, it's not your fault if you grew up that way, but it is your fault if you stay that way. Mm. And in all things in life, there are a lot of things that we go through growing up and there are a lot of mindsets, negative mindsets we may develop because of our experiences or, you know, you could look at it even from an economic status, you know, we we weren't born into the most successful family. And so, a lot of people, they go through their whole life just placing a ceiling on their own, on themselves, you know, on, on, you know, placing limits on their, themselves of how successful they can do, be from a financial aspect or things that they can achieve and com- accomplish. And they just don't think it's even possible to step higher than that. Or we make up excuses about our character, you know, we, we have bad character flaws and we just chuck it up to, oh, well, that's just how I am. Well, maybe it is, but you can change that and mm-hmm. and I think that you know we allow ourselves to make up too many excuses just to stay stagnant or to not keep on advancing mm-hmm. in life if to we stay have that yeah, if we have that mindset of that's just who I am or this is just how my life is, or this is just how it's always been yeah again so it's it's not my li- or it's not my fault if that's how I grew up, it is my fault if I stay there, mm-hmm. so it is my fault if I stay in those those toxic situations or keep those negative mindsets because we we can change you know our, our brain can be rewired we can change our habits uh, we we just have to choose to do so and so a lot of that is doing the hard work you know I'm a huge advocate for therapy I'm a huge advocate for you know changing your life in a positive way you know a lot of people just don't want to do the work and it's just easier to sit back and say oh well that's how I am that's how it's going to be well, no, I mean, that, that impacts your relationships, it impacts, you know, your your job, it impacts everything if you're not choosing to better yourself, you know. Once you find out you have a character flaw, it's your choice to either hold on to that character flaw or say, okay, now that I know this is an issue, now that I know this is something that isn't good for me. Mm-hmm. What can I do to take steps to improve? How can I change this? You know, and catch yourself when you're you're making those mistakes. Catch yourself when you're having those limited beliefs. Catch yourself when you're having that negative mindset and do better. And the more that you do better in those areas, the easier it becomes to do better. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're, you know, you're a completely different person than who you were 10 years later. And I feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing in life. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be improving in all areas. And, yeah, I, I've just been intentional about making myself aware of whether it's even, like, procrastination. I've intentionally
0: I love that been word, intentional. I love, yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah, because it's too easy. If we're not being intentional about it, very minimal change is gonna happen Uh,
0: we can love our flaws we should love our flaws but it doesn't mean we keep them there Mm. forever it just means i'm not less of a person because of this but i'm still gonna work on it so that i can become even better i guess exactly yeah i love that i'm hey i'm glad after the dark shit we talked about that we're able to have a lighter ending so
1: that's good i feel like yeah, I feel like there needs to be a few more lighter things tied into my episode, but that's okay.
0: What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life?
1: I don't think I can go that far. Okay, what's <laughs> the, the second one really most. detailed one? <laughs> okay, I have one. Um, so it, in my different line of work, you know, I've done all kinds of things and with event coordinating and I've done a lot in like professional athletics and stuff. And um, I was working... I was working with a professional football team, and I had been there for, I don't know, eight or nine months. And I was walking around in the building one day. It was the first time – like, I had seen the head coach around quite a bit, and um, but it was the first time that I would had an actual conversation with him. And, again, I, I don't get flustered when it comes to celebrities or, or different people. I, I really don't. Like, I've, I've been around them. Um, they're all cool. They're human. Mm-hmm. We're all human. You know, I, I don't get frazzled. I don't know why, but in this moment, this head coach, you know, we're we're walking toward each other down the hallway, and he stops me. And he stops him, you know, he stops me and he goes to introduce himself to me and he holds out his hand. And for purposes of keeping, I guess, this team off the record, uh, he holds out his hand and he says, Hey, I'm Bill. And he, get, he looks me in the eyes, that eye contact we're talking about. So, you know, he genuinely was like, hey, I see you. I'm introducing myself to you. He's like, hey, I'm Bill. And I hold up my hand to shake his and I say, I'm Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Completely serious, you know, wow. strong contact. I'm just like, I'm Bill. And then I shake myself off and I'm like, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm I'm Ashley. Uh And I shake his hand. And then he goes on to, you know, give me a phenomenal compliment actually about my work ethic and this, that, whatever. We had a whole conversation. But in that moment, yeah, I called, I, I told him my name was his.
0: So that actually did somewhat remind me of something that I think was tied into the random thought that I tried to make it seem like, oh, I'm just asking yes, about a random thought, yes, but we actually, we
1: both forgot, but girl. we actually <laughs>
0: talked about it at brunch. So it wasn't as like uh, natural as I tried to have it brought up, but you were in line on the right of first refusal for a certain project. Talk about that.
1: Absolutely. So I almost booked a Super Bowl commercial last year. Uh, so it would have been my first, you know, national global, you know, commercial let alone i mean super bowl commercial that's a big deal and so yeah i was put on right of first refusal for this which you know in in acting lingo basically most likely especially here in texas is down to you and whoever else one other person that they may book you know in other markets there's a few more people put into that pool but in texas it pretty much means you got it Mm -hmm. um so i was excited at the same time i was trying not to get too excited because anything can happen in this industry but i was very excited thinking that i booked it The day that the wardrobe was supposed to be comes around, I hadn't got that call. You know, and the dates that they were going to be shooting this comes around, didn't get the call. Okay, so I didn't book it. So basically it was going to be a commercial that has Pat Mahomes and Drake in it. Date of when this commercial is being shot goes by, I didn't book it. You know, and that's the only project up, you know, so far in my short little acting life that I've had so far, that has really gotten to me. You know, I, I don't let a whole lot of... Bookings, you know, auditions that I do when I don't book. I don't let a lot of that get to me. You know, I, I submit my audition, let, you know, go on with life. Mm-hmm. This one got to me. It was a big deal. You know, I like sports. I like football. Um, it would have been cool. So, of course, Super Bowl rolls around. I'm sitting there with my friends. You know, I'm just, like, impatiently waiting on this commercial to roll out so mm-hmm. I can see whatever, you know, curly-haired, you know, woman they chose to go with. Yeah. This Super Bowl commercial airs, and guess who's playing the part? Who? Paul Rudd. What? <laughs> that was very believable, Tristan. He already knows this story, that's so why, he knows what I was going to say. I thought I'm he was at- going to guess for me. <laughs> oh, no. It's all right.
0: I so, wasn't going to take your thunder. <laughs> this is how it works.
1: You're not taking it. You're contributing. This is a contribution. Mm, okay. <laughs> no. So anyways, Paul Rudd was playing that part. And I learned a lot in that moment in many different ways. We, in the acting industry, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. You never know why they're they're making the decisions that they are. You know, a lot of times in this industry, rejection isn't personal. You know, there are reasons that we don't we – don't we may not book a gig because we look like the director's ex-wife. And so he he doesn't want to be reminded of that when he's working with us. You know, yeah. you don't know. It may have nothing to do with, with how you're – you never know what's going on. And so it was a learning experience. It was really fun. Um, it's completely laughable now, and hopefully Mm -hmm. one day I have the chance to tell Paul Rudd that he stole my commercial (laughs) spot, and it will be hilarious.
0: I'm sure we'll do a double take, like, wait.
1: I highly doubt we would ever be put in, like, the same breakdown or the same pool. Hey, it's it's funny, and it's Mm -hmm. laughable, and something I can celebrate now. It's
0: funny, because that reminds me of a second thing I meant to talk about, but I didn't. People that are listening to you don't see you, but... You are of mixed race, and yeah, yeah. I remember you wanted to talk a little bit about how that's kind of affected the way you've oh, grown yeah. up. yeah,
1: that's going to be longer than 10 minutes.
0: I mean, hey, we can, my battery is a little low real quick, so I'm going to stop recording, change out the AA batteries. I don't know why I'm still recording while I'm telling you this, but- uh, <laughs> The
1: people need to know.
0: Exactly. And then that way, we'll have full battery while you talk about that.
1: Well, so I can contribute to what we're doing. I'm going to go potty while he's doing <gasps> that.
0: I'm keeping that in the final cut.
1: Oh my God! Being mixed is is a beautiful thing. It's it's had its own pros and cons. Um, just for reference, since the listeners cannot mm. see me, I I am mixed. My my dad is black and white. Oh, go ahead.
0: That's not one hundred percent true. Possibly
1: that my dad's not black and white.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That <laughs> the listeners can't see you. <laughs> What would I mean be to tell it you
1: might not <laughs> Why not? It might not be hundred percent true.
0: Well, because I bet what one thing I wanted to do like in, in spirit like when I was doing like the production, <laughs> I wanted to have a day where I did like a professional photo shoot so that people can see the visual representation of who they're listening to. I love it. Um
1: so as I was saying, I believe <laughs>
0: I can't believe you thought I said that your father's <laughs> race was not true. <laughs> I've never even met him. Are we going to be able to reel this back, Tristan, or should we just be done? Um, I don't know. I- Do you have any any last kind of words of insight, comments, questions, concerns? No, I mean- Is there anything in your background, for example, that you you really want to kind of share with with the world that you think has wildly affected kind of – Your general perspective and outlook on life that we haven't yet discussed.
1: Um, Biggest thing for me, and something I'm always so passionate about, and cliche as it is, is just I, I always push the idea that everybody does have a purpose, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, before you were even brought into this world, you know, you are God's masterpiece. You know, you are created um, on purpose for a purpose, even if you were an accident, (laughs) you know. unquote accident if your parents didn't know if you were surprised i'm um, a teen mom boy (laughs) exactly that's a weird and i i I always tell everybody that i was actually at my mom and dad's wedding because my mom was five months pregnant with me Uh um, (laughs) at their wedding so i say i was Uh there but anyway so so much of us were um surprises uh but we weren't a surprise to god and and with that being said there's so much purpose and power in every single one of us. And it has been since the, the moment we were created. And what happens is we were created with all that purpose and power and potential. And then we come into this, this life into this world, and who we get off track, you know, we let the opinions of others mess us up, we let expectations of us, mess us up. You know, we let what society says is success or, you know, how we should live our lives throw us off course. And we allow our brains to get, you know, our brains, our, our, our life trajectory, our opinions about ourselves, our esteem to get so off course of who we were created to be that, you know, this whole, this whole path in life, I know everybody's seen like, you know, those little graphs of what success looks like mm-hmm. or, you know, what other people think it's like. And it's like this line. And, you know, then the other one is what it's really like is that zigzag. Well, I always say that when it comes to life and our purpose and what we're doing, it's actually not even like this this linear pattern. It's a circle where we started mm-hmm. out with so much power, purpose and potential and then we're brought into this world, and it messes us up. But then it's like the rest of our life is really just going back to the core of who we were created to be, and mm-hmm. figuring that out. And so it already exists in us. You know, we go through these experiences that that impact it, but we're already incredible beings to begin with. And so it's finding finding that um, stepping th- back into that.
0: I think the interesting part about what you just said is that people constantly talk about how they miss what it was like when they were a kid because they were filled with so much, you know, possibility and so much imagination. It's interesting that you described it as a circle because I feel like... You
1: have that in you somewhere. So so many people I talk
0: to talk (laughs) about how they wish they could behave like when they were a kid again because it was the most authentic to who they are. So it's interesting. It's just
1: finding the... The freedom to give yeah. back to that, and what that looks like for you
0: I love that well, awesome, I think that's a perfect way to to lead <laughs> out on. I thank you so much for being my wonderful guest i've always respected just how how i mean not fearless because fearless is the wrong word, but how you're constantly dedicated to pushing your bounds and going outside your comfort zone. You never stay still you're always you're always moving and grooving and um you always make sure to have a very pure heart in the process. I appreciate that. You a genuinely lot. look out for for everyone that you um, that you care about, and I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I just I say that, that so you know that it is translated. So well,
1: thank you so much, of and course. thank you for this opportunity. I loved being here.
0: Yes, well, catch catch me next week with my next guest. I swear, I have no idea how to end these. <laughs> Every single time I try to I I'm just like uh words. Um I'll be here. So, thank you so much. You're so welcome.
1: Cut. <laughs> <laughs>